Hello, I'm Rachel Madcow, here with your daily MSNBCIA anonymous source briefing. To begin with, according to an anonymous source at the Pentagon, Donald J. Trump farted last night in his sleep at approximately 2.34 a.m. He had just finished crafting his final news alert bulletin on his misinformation website, DonaldJTrump.com. And due to his having gorged himself on Taco Bell Cheesy Boo Burritos earlier that night, he let loose a mighty gaseous wind that, according to my source, actually rattled the windows of his Mar-a-Lago home. For more about Fartgate, watch this space. My next story involves an anonymous source at the Pentagon who has informed me that Vladimir Putin is a peeping Tom, and he is in fact staring at you right now through your living room window. And finally, to wrap up today's breaking news, an anonymous source at the Pentagon has given exclusive information to the Rachel Madcow Show that Donald J. Trump had stinky feet last Wednesday the 17th. According to my source, the 45th president had been lounging around all day in his loafers, and when he took his loafers off that night, they stunk to high heaven. For more on Loafergate, watch this space. That's it for tonight's Rachel Madcow Show. And remember, question everything the Republicans and Fox News says. Question nothing from me or my network. I make $82,000 a day. Fuck off. world to barbarian noetics the podcast dedicated to the elevation of the human spirit and to resisting the status quo today friends i am plutonium i am particularly fantastical and a resplendent element because i actually glow in the dark my glow isn't due to my radioactivity though Rather, I oxidize in the air, emitting red light like a burning ember. If you were to hold a chunk of me in your hand, which is not recommended, it would feel warm thanks to the huge number of radioactive decays and the oxidation. Too much of me in one place leads to a runaway chain reaction, also known as a nuclear explosion. So, tread carefully around me, friends. One interesting fact is that I am more likely to go critical in a solution than in a solid. Um, the, the element symbol for plutonium is PU. PU, baby! And the atomic number of plutonium is 94, meaning all atoms of plutonium have 94 protons. I have an atomic weight around 244, a melting point of 640 degrees Celsius, or almost 1200 degrees Fahrenheit, and a boiling point of really fucking hot, 5842 degrees Fahrenheit. My name, uh... My, the name of me follows the trend of uranium and neptunium being named for planets outward from the sun. Plutonium is named for the dwarf planet Pluto. Plutonium occurs naturally in the Earth's crust in uranium ores, but it is very rare. The main source of the element is synthesis in reactors from uranium-238. I emit red light like a burning ember, baby! 
I am also, as always, your loyal host, Conan Tanner. And I want to welcome everybody back to the BMP. Thank you so much for tuning in, for integrating me into your day. The airplane flying directly over my apartment is also glad that you have joined us. I'm coming at you from a really beautiful Sunday afternoon here in South Phoenix. I slept in like crazy, so I'm getting a late start. That's the... Uh, that's the cart they drive around. People drive around with like little go-karts and they, they have like chips and snacks and, and ice. Uh, what are those called? The flavored ice. <laughs> so that's what that is. You gotta love it. Gotta love South Phoenix on a Sunday. Anyways, um, I want to shout out my patrons. Y'all are the sound card in my DJ software and you're the shungite in my medallion that protects me from EMF. So thank you so much. And uh, my new patrons, I want to welcome you to our tribe of philosopher barbarians. Thank you so much. I really, really deeply appreciate you guys. And I'm feeling very hopeful and excited uh, because the numbers are going up. Uh, We're reaching more people. Our tribe of philosopher barbarians is growing. And I hit the charts in Uganda also. So now I've hit the charts in uh, Barbados, Russia, Uganda, Ghana, and one other that I can't think of right now but it'll come to me later. So I'm starting to expand out internationally, which has always been my goal, and I'm very happy about it. So anyways, getting back to today's episode. So this episode, I tackle a topic that I have very much had on my mind recently, um, especially in light of the Kyle trial, the Rittenhouse trial, where you had a situation escalate predictably at a rally for what should have been about an innocent black man being shot 14 times by the police but instead will forever be remembered as the time a 17-year-old white boy shot and killed two other white men, one of which was a sociopath, but the other was simply being a good Samaritan attempting to rein in an active shooter who had just killed someone. So I don't want to get into the fucking Kyle trial right now, but uh, what a shit show. And everyone talks about, oh, one of the guys he shots was a pedo. It's like, okay, but you can't just go around shooting people because you think they're pedos or whatever. That's just not how society functions. And also... The other guy was just trying to stop Kyle because he had just shot someone. No one else knew that like this guy was a pedo. It was just that you have an active shooter and the other guy tried to stop Kyle and he lost his life for that. No one talks about that. And then the third victim got his biceps blown off, permanently disfigured. So it's just it's it's insane to me that that this guy is being lionized in any circles and It's just very strange. Anyways, I digress. The situation that unfolded in Kenosha reminded me of many such occasions during last summer's Movement for Black Lives when righteous protests and indignation got hijacked by bad actors aiming only to delegitimize the protest through acts of violence and property damage. This would include incidents in which protesters actually recognized local police smashing windows, so Asian provocateur, which we're going to talk about in this topic. So... When right-wing forces of reaction instigate chaos or even carry out acts of terrorism with the express intent of blaming the violence and chaos on left-wing political movements, this is what's referred to as the strategy of tension. Strategy of tension. The point of this episode is to put this term out into the universe and raise people's awareness about it because not nearly enough people know that this is a thing and it's provable in history. So, the strategy of tension has been utilized by right-wing forces of reaction many times in history, and these programs are <clears throat> excuse me, these programs are matters of historical record. I'm going to get into more details in the episode, but just a couple examples are Operation Gladio, which took place in Italy, Western Europe, and Turkey after World War II, 
when the European Communist parties were very, very powerful and popular, because the communists having been key warriors in the battle against Italian and German fascism, and uh, Operation Gladio was a campaign to delegitimize the communists by staging terrorist attacks, killing government's own people, and then blaming them on the communists. Strategy of tension. Another example of strategy of tension is Operation Condor, uh, which took place in, it was a United States-backed campaign of political repression and state terror involving intelligence operations and assassinations of opponents, officially implemented in 1975 by the right-wing dictatorships of the southern cone of South America. The program was nominally intended to eradicate communist or Soviet influence and ideas and to suppress active or potential opposition movements against the participating government's neoliberal economic policies, which sought to reverse the redistributive economic policies of the previous era. Due to its clandestine nature, the precise number of deaths directly attributable to Operation Condor is highly disputed. I just want to point out that I just said attributable right on the first try. I'm kind of proud of myself there. Directly attributable to Operation Condor is highly disputed. Some estimates are that at least 60,000 deaths, 60,000 deaths and likely more can be attributed to Condor. Victims included dissidents and leftists, union and peasant leaders, priests and nuns, students and teachers, intellectuals and suspected guerrillas. Condor's key members were the governments of Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, Bolivia, and Brazil. Ecuador and Peru later joined the operation in more peripheral roles. The United States government provided direct technical support and supplied military aid to the participants during the Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan administrations. This is what I mean about Team Blue and Team Red, the same fucked up imperialist bullshit. Such support was frequently routed through the Central Intelligence Agency. No surprises there. So let's get right into it. I think this intro has been long enough. Uh, we're going to talk today. Your veggies are the strategy of tension, but I've got some other skits and zany audio tidbits thrown in there for you as well for your tapas platter and your desserts and your appetizer. But we're going to unpack strategy of tension today and putting it out there in the universe so that more people could be aware of this really fucked up thing <laughs> that is used to delegitimize redistributive economic movements for redistributive economic policies. All right, everyone, with that, I love you guys. I want to thank you again for joining, and I'll talk to you at the end. Peace. Hey, everybody, please support the podcast. I can really use your help to stay on the air and to afford my groceries. I've updated my Patreon, so you can sign up for as little as $1 a month or as much as $50 a month to be my own personal Jesus. So go to patreon.com noetics if you like what I'm doing here on the BMP. Just uh, donate just $1 a month. That's all I'm asking and uh, help me achieve my dreams and reach my goals. And I would be eternally grateful to you. And big shout out to all my patrons who have already signed up. I really appreciate you guys and love you guys very much. Y'all are the pixels on my computer screen or something like that. Better yet, you're the pixels in my salvia divinorum trip. Because when I, when I smoke salvia, the world disintegrates into tiny little pixels of spirits. And each pixel is a spirit. So it's like I'm being witnessed by like billions of individual spirits. It's very intense. Anyways, um... You can help out as well just by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts. I challenge you all to tell one friend about the BMP this week. As I said, I have so many different topics that's bound to resonate with 
one topic at least is bound to resonate with everybody. And uh, just by spreading the word and telling a friend, we help to expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians. And maybe if you have a moment this week, just send some good vibes as well to the BMP that we continue to expand out nationally and internationally. All right. Um, that's it for house cleaning. <laughs> Back to the pod. you on a late Friday night. Had an exhausting day at work today. It was the Black Friday craze. We were one of the only coffee shops open, so there was lines out the door. People needed they fix, and I was straight fix and slinging lattes all day. And uh, when that happens, I become socially exhausted, and so I'm taking the evening to recuperate, and I just went on a nice bike ride, went to the river, did a ceremony, felt really good. And I'm listening to a really interesting conversation um, between Alison Morrow, who is like a mainstream media refugee. She used to work in the mainstream media, and she was disillusioned with how they curate reality. So she started her own channel. And she's interviewing Dr. Julie Panessi, who is a professor of ethics at a university in Ontario. And she lost her job after 20 years of teaching uh, because she would not submit to the mandate. And so they're talking about the ethics of choosing um, to assert one's individual rights in different situations. And it just got me thinking, because be aware of our bias. I think the best we can do is just to be aware of our bias. I think the best we can do is just to be aware of our biases, at least. Um, which you're always going to have blind spots, and that's what friends and family are for to help you see your blind spots because there's no way that um, you can see the whole picture of your personality just from your own perspective. You need other people's perspectives. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, hang on. looks like my Meowser wants to go outside. Hold on just a second. 
You want time to go outside? Meow, meow. Gonna while out Friday night. My meowser's gonna go while out with the other meowsers. Have some Friday night shenanigans. Man, when I was an alcoholic, I used to. Friday nights were like sacred pillars of like excess. I would be in like a frenzied state to like just find alcohol <laughs> until I either passed out or blacked out. And uh, neither was great. Anyways, talking about this conversation between Allison Morrow and Dr. Julie Panessi, talking about the ethics of individual rights versus responsibility for the collective. And they brought up a really good point that by giving up your personal rights, your rights to make decisions regarding the sovereignty of your own body, by giving up that right, that harms the collective. So if you want to argue that somehow it harms the collective because makes, even though it's not true that it doesn't, the science is very much like undecided about if it even prevents you at a lesser degree from transmitting if you're jabbed or unjabbed. But anyways, putting that aside for now, um, I, I agree with that, that I think giving up your rights, your rights to personal freedom, personal sovereignty, bodily autonomy, is more damaging in the collective and especially long-term. And I think I'm, t- I'm talking from the perspective of an American. I was like raised in the belly of the beast, Chicago, Illinois, So I realized that I have more of like a thing for personal freedom, but I do think it is really important. And I think partially it's like important psychologically for people, for Americans to like feel that they can exercise their rights, that they can talk about whatever they would like to talk about because they have free speech, that they can worship however they want to worship. They have the freedom of religion and that they can decide for themselves whether or not to partake in any sort of medical intervention and so I just thought that was like a really interesting idea and then I was also thinking um, earlier today about like why is it that I feel compelled to stay so informed because it is kind of like a burden sometimes knowing so much about everything, current events and stuff. And I even hear that feedback from some listeners where they're like, I really like your content, but sometimes it's just too intense. I have to listen to like a comedy (laughs) podcast or something. And I know I try to sprinkle in comedic bits, but sometimes those are pretty dark too. I acknowledge that. So (laughs) it's a certain gallows humor in the BMP, but um, overall I am optimistic. And anyways, the reason why I feel compelled to stay informed and to try to do my part to spread awareness and inform others and help others to educate themselves because I'm, I'm obviously not saying that I like have answers but what I'm trying to do is provide doors like shine lights on different doors and be like if you would like to go through any of these doors these are some interesting doors and the doors are like different ways of seeing things different perspectives and such and I think that why that's important is because there's something about just slipping into the future just allowing forces beyond yourself to carry you into the future that I think is very dangerous. And 
it has to do with honestly like even ceremonial magic and like the essence of life is that we do have free will we have freedom of choice and as Dr. Panessi pointed out what are we but our choices what are we but kind of like an amalgamation of our choices we've made um, and I think that that's so true and so allowing others to dictate our choices or just being carried by the power of the will of others allowing like greater forces to just carry you through time carry you through history is I don't think that that is how humans are meant to be and I also think that it's kind of it's dangerous to implicitly agree to things for example imperialism so I'm staunchly opposed to imperialism in in all forms by any nation and I happen to be a citizen of a nation that does crazy imperialism all over the world in order to secure resources so we can maintain like this bloated consumerist lifestyle and so I think that that's really fucked up. I think we should not interfere. If we want the resources, we trade for them fairly. You know, we have the money. I mean, the US dollars, this, anyway. It's the backbone currency of the world so they can print like infinite amounts of money. We have the money. Um, and we can just trade, like say we want Bolivia's lithium, like just pay them a fair wage and trust that Bolivia will take care of its workers. And I have to say that under the Moss Party, they are taking care of workers, the movement towards socialism in Bolivia. So uh, why not just pay them fairly for their lithium and trust that they're going to take care of them, their own nation and they're going to try to mitigate the environmental damage as best they can. But rather, we want to like cause coup d'etats and get them to agree to IMF loans that make them slaves to international finance. And I'm opposed to that. I think that's really fucked up. And so if I were to just turn off my this, the pod, make the podcast go in a totally other direction, nothing but me doing meditations and chants and mantras, which holy shit, that would be boring, boring podcast. <laughs> just in this hypothetical scenario, I just go, I do a hard pivot to like transcendental spirituality and I just do nothing but chants and meditations. I think that's valuable and I think that would have value. And honestly, I'd, I'd most likely be in a really good mind state <laughs> from it. But my issue with that is that I would be then implicitly agreeing to what my government does in my name, which is the imperialism I spoke of, interfering with other countries, assassinating elected leaders fucking with other countries shit and I can't do that I, I can't live with that maybe if I didn't know that that even existed ignorance ignorance is bliss if I had no idea that there was any imperialism going on then maybe I could just ignore it but I feel I do know that it's going on and so I think we have to build a movement in this country to stop it not, no one else is going to stop it except the people of the U.S. The people of the U.S. are the only force capable of reining in our out-of-control government. So if we build big enough popular movement and we demand an end to imperialism, and it's going to involve building up a third party. I like the Workers' Party. Dr. Cornell West is part of it. Uh, right now it's called the Movement for Workers' Party because they're building it or sorry a workers a people's party is what they call it it's it is a workers party but they call it movement towards a people's party i believe in that i i i think that they're already off to a good start to building that infrastructure of the party so if we build enough popular support for that party and enough people realize that 
the the blue team and the red team are both the same team <laughs> and they're not doing you any favors unless you're like super duper rich unless you're in like the 0.01% they're not doing you any favors and in fact they're withholding healthcare from us and all sorts of fucked up shit so uh, enough people get behind that people's party think of the possibilities and yes it it will be difficult and yes there will be lots of um challenges uh, there will be lots of infiltration and and um, coordinated interference by the powers that be, but that doesn't mean that we can't overcome that. And with the power of popular a popular movement, you know, if you have enough millions of humans, it's literally an unstoppable force. As Karl Marx said, we have nothing to lose but our chains. We have a world to win. So we have a world to win, and so I have to from my own heart, my own soul, I have to be a part of, of building that world, building the movement, the force, the power to win our world, to take our world back from the parasitic criminals that have hijacked it. So have faith, dig deep. You know, we have like this ever infinite, ever filling reservoir of power and energy in ourselves and we can tap into it and it's so beautiful and so powerful and I'm thankful for all the teachers in my life that have helped me to connect with my own essence and that I've learned how to go inside and it takes effort and sometimes it's hard but you dig deep enough you go inside deep enough and you find that infinite pool of power and you can just soak in it and it's amazing so I guess with that I'll uh, bid you all adieu <laughs> and I uh, hope you're getting some of the good vibes tonight the, the mariachi music the ranchero music here in South Phoenix it's Friday night people are you know letting loose and I am sending you lots of love and I'll talk to you real soon alright peace <laughs> How many licks do you get to the center? How many times have I heard that a nigga a dog was scared when he played with the kid? How many times have I heard that somebody lasts long? These niggas ain't less than a minute. How many times have I heard that a nigga was big, but diggers as small as a egg shaker, leg shaking, hit it to the bed, breaking, bed bringing, talk to it, what you wanna tell, make it. He's safe and to keep me up, yeah, nigga, we'll see. I want just one nut, daddy, I'ma need the whole street. All right, so what is the strategy of tension? I'm going to be reading from a couple articles. One is from wikispooks.com and another is from militaryhistoryfandom.com. Not super easy to find information about the strategy of tension, but I did find uh, some excellent videos that I'm also going to share with you guys so it won't just be my 
yammering voice forever. Anyways, the strategy of tension is a method of social control involving a series of covert attacks upon a population intended to promote stress and fear amongst them. The purpose is, by inducing a mistrust of one another and of the world at large, to increase childlike dependence upon perceived authority figures such as national governments. The English phrase originates from the Italian strategia della tensione, which was first applied to Operation Gladio in Italy during the years of lead. And we're going to go deeper into Operation Gladio in a bit. So this is a quote from Vincenzo Vincinguera. When you were on the right, you were not supposed to attack the state or its representatives. You were supposed to attack civilians, women, children, innocent people from outside the political arena. I mean, how fucked up is this? For one simple reason, to force the Italian public to turn to the state and turn to the regime to ask for greater security. This was precisely the role of the right in Italy. It placed itself as at the service of the state, which created a strategy aptly called the strategy of tension, insofar as they had to get ordinary people to accept that at any moment over a period of 30 years, from 1960 to the mid-80s, a state of emergency could be declared. States of emergency are incredibly useful to authoritarian to any governments but especially to authoritarian governments that was my editorializing but we should keep that in mind as they keep extend expanding the state of emergency just keeps getting expanded and expanded we have to start asking ourselves when is it no longer an emergency so people would willingly trade part of their freedom for the security of being able to walk the streets go on trains or enter a bank this is the political logic behind all the bombings they remain unpunished because the state cannot condemn itself. Let's run that back. They remain unpunished because the state cannot condemn itself. God damn. Methods of strategy, strategy of tension are uh, illegal and violent, and they include assassination, kidnapping, paramilitary operations, but also include propaganda, economic sanctions, which were constantly unloading on states that have socialist governments that don't bend over to Western capital. And then we, people have this idea that economic sanctions are somehow some sort of sanitized. Uh, no, they are economic sanctions are an act of war that immiserates the population. And that's intended. And there's even like quotes from CIA guys who talk about how the point of the economic sanctions in Cuba was to make the people hungry so that they would become disenchanted with their communist government and then rise up and overthrow it has not happened on the island of cuba um anyways uh they also include support of civil unrest fake grassroots movements otherwise known as um, astroturfing promotion of disruptive means or technologies and memes or technologies and the escalation of formerly peaceful protests by use of asian provocateurs that's what we saw last summer big time and in a way i'm not saying kyle rittenhouse was an asian provocateur but cops, when there's protests and rallies, like I saw this myself with Occupy Wall Street in Seattle, cops will bring mentally deranged people to those events and unleash them in order to create chaos and conflict. So that, that's like a basic, that's, those are police, local police, but also anytime there's a protest, you know there's going to be FBI and CIA fuckers there too. But that's them uh, implementing the strategy of tension. And you know, we, we see it in recent history including with the George Floyd uh, movement for black lives. Uh, 
These are typically carried out under a false flag and combined with disinformation and the use of enemy images to demonize the uninvolved third party. So then the plausible deniability, which I did a little segment, I'll put that, I'll put that in right here, segment on plausible deniability. So really quick, plausible deniability is the ability of people, typically senior officials in a formal or informal chain of command, to deny knowledge of or responsibility for any damnable actions committed by members of their organizational hierarchy. They may do so because of a lack or absence of evidence that can confirm their participation, even if they were personally involved in or at least willfully ignorant of the actions. If illegal or otherwise disreputable and unpopular activities become public, high-ranking officials may then deny any awareness of such acts to insulate themselves and shift the blame onto the agents who carried out the acts, as they are confident that their doubters will be unable to prove otherwise. The lack of evidence to the contrary ostensibly makes the denial plausible, credible, but sometimes it makes any accusations only unactionable. And this is interesting. Parallels of deep state structure with psychopathic personality structure. Checkley in The Mask of Sanity points out that plausible deniability is part of the psychopath's personality because he feels there is nothing wrong with lying and deceiving others. He is aware, however, of the negative reactions of others to his true motives, and therefore develops callous mechanisms to escape consequences. Assuming that psychopaths constitute an influential group at the top of today's society, compartmentalization and layering of information seems to reflect this personality structure. Very interesting stuff. So that's plausible deniability. Now I'll get back to strategy of tension. The PSYOP component of a strategy of tension. The main target of a strategy of tension is the public opinion to manipulate votes, created a casus belli to legitimate a war, to call for a strong leader or roll out mass surveillance and denounce peacemakers as unpatriotic, quote unquote. False flag terrorist attacks are just the tip of the iceberg of possible measures to achieve these goals. In, any, in fact, any scare tactic will do. In interdoc and West European psychological warfare, Giles Scott Smith puts the strategy of tension in a broader context. Quote, Ultimately, interdoc's value comes from it being a remarkable example of the way European security services sought to engage with and manipulate the public sphere initially out of serious concerns for the effects of peaceful coexistence on Western ideological solidity and eventually as a means to secure a strategic advantage in the Cold War. Out of concern for the effects of peaceful coexistence on Western ideological solidity. What the fuck? That is so crazy. Peaceful coexistence refers to the Russian policy after Stalin, meaning the absence of a Soviet threat, therefore the absence of tension. God damn. Based on official statements, he shows that prolonged periods of peace are seen as a threat to Western power structures, the established order and political stability by the establishment, i.e. threat to multi-billion dollar profits. The proposed, quote, solution to this is, in the propagandist phrasing, to, quote, raise awareness of external threats or to, quote, encourage a responsible citizenry as part of the process of maintaining a democratic society. The result may be called fine-tuning of democracy and included staged terror attacks under a false flag in the past. Goddamn. 
The same rhetoric is put forward by the joint statement of European ministers of the interior. Quote, in order to tackle the root causes of radicalization, and then parenthetically, radicalization refers to a value shift towards favoring a more equal distribution of wealth. Yeah, exactly. God damn. In particular of young people, the EU should consider strengthening targeted actions designed to raise awareness and promote the respect of fundamental rights and values. This is an abusive relationship, guys. We live in an abusive relationship with our fucked up Western governments. All right, so this is a quote from uh, Daniele Ganser, who's a scholar who investigated the strategy of tension in his PhD and has written books on the subject. So this is a pretty long quote from Daniele Ganser from May 2014. It is probably fair to say that of the roughly 7 billion people who live on our planet today, far less than 1% has ever heard of the strategy of tension. But the BMP is changing those numbers today, putting it out for the masses. What's up? So share this with your friends. Let's, let's spread awareness about this fucked up shit so we can be aware of it and we can resist it. Anyways, continuing. And only a very few of these could illustrate the strategy with specific historical examples. It is indeed a strategy of a shadow world, known only to a few military and intelligence officers and many criminals who have carried it out, a few police officers and judges who fought against it, and a handful of journalists and academics who have written about it. In its essence, the strategy of tension targets the emotions of human beings and aims to spread maximum fear among the target group. Tension refers to emotional distress and psychological fear, whereas strategy refers to the technique of bringing about such distress and fear. A terrorist attack in a public place, such as a railway station, a marketplace, or a school bus, is the typical technique through which the strategy of tension is implemented. After the attack, and this is a crucial element, the secret agents who carried out the crime blame it on the political opponents by removing and planting evidence. It must be noted that the targets of the strategy of tension are not the dead and the wounded of the terrorist attacks, as many might assume. The targets are the political opponents who are discredited through the attack and those who remain unharmed but learn of the attack, thereby coming to fear for their lives and those of their loved ones. Since the aims of the strategy are to discredit opponents and to create fear, the real targets are not the people who are killed, whether they number in the dozens or even in the thousands, but the millions of people who survived physically unharmed but emotionally distressed. So I'm going to take a quick break here, and then I'm going to go list a few examples in history of like real examples and real history of the strategy of tension, and then I'm going to play uh, some clips from this video about the strategy of tension. Alrighty. So 
What's up, you salubrious, slithering, sand adder snakes? We're going to get right back into this episode of the BMP. But first, a quick word from our new sponsor, Predator Creditor. We live in a tumultuous world. Times are changing fast. Soon our doggos will be robotic, and drones will swarm the sky like listening, glistening dragonflies. You want peace of mind. You want sanity in your discourse. And you want a brand new Buick Enclave. Well, introducing the Predator Creditor Investment Portfolio ETF Blankie of Eternal Happiness. Rest assured at night knowing that your money is riding the bloody dragon of predictable returns with Predator Creditor managing your investments. Defense contractors, weapons manufacturers, massive pharmaceutical firms, and creepy biotech genetic transhumanist projects will assure your grubby, sweaty little paws stay lubed with the sweet, sweet grease of cash you can use in your retirement to go on princess cruises and attend conservative political action committee conferences every four years, where you can hoot and holler with a middle-aged Kyle Rittenhouse whose douchey doughboy face is now stuck with us forever in the political imaginary. Predator, creditor, we fuck the world so you can eat endless sushi on massively polluting city-sized ship barges in your retirement. Predator, creditor, let us help you today. They have the same fears, shed similar tears, dying so many years. The oppressing have suffered the most in every continent coast to coast. Now our lives are in the hands of the pusher man. We break it all down in hopes that you might understand how to protect yourself. Don't make no profit for the man. I'm so glad I've got my own. So glad that I can see. My life's a natural high. The man can't put no thing on me. I'm so glad so glad that I can see my life's a natural high. The man can't put no thing on me. You're something kind of funny. How the man take your money? He's shrewd as he can be. In such a way you'll never see. The weaker turn to dope And put all aside their hope And I'm so glad I've got my own So glad that I can see My life's a natural high The man can't put no thing on me I'm so glad I've got my own So glad that I can see 
Alright, so for the purpose of this episode, I can't really go into like super detail with every single example of the strategy of tension that has been uncovered through history, but I'm going to talk about two really important major ones right here that I mentioned in the introduction, and then the video I'm going to play for you guys also mentions, it goes into deeper detail and mentions some other ones also. But the point of this, sorry about the plane, you guys. The point of this episode is to raise awareness, like that, that quote said, like so few people even are aware that this is a thing, and when people see people take things at face value for example like when when there's a rally for black lives and then there's people breaking windows they're like oh yeah that's just a crazy anarchist black block but we don't know that it's most likely actually asian provocateurs creating a strategy of tension and um as i said the the just shit show in kenosha with rittenhouse and everyone shooting everybody is another way to create this strategy of tension it delegitimizes it takes the it takes the energy and awareness off of the fact that it, there was an innocent black man that got shot 14 times by the police. And then it becomes about this, these you know, outside agitators or whatever. And this is an old tactic. It's been used by governments forever. So we have to raise awareness about this because we have to evolve to a better place. We can't just keep going through the same loop in history where there's like a, a, a movement for redistribution of wealth and for equity in society. And then we allow it to be hijacked and fucked up. We have to be better than that. I really believe that. So... All right, um, a little bit about Operation Gladio. So Operation Gladio is an undisputed historical fact. Gladio was part of a post-World War II program set up by the CIA and NATO, supposedly to thwart future Soviet communist invasions or influence in Italy and Western Europe. In fact, it became a state-sponsored right-wing terrorist network involved in false flag operations and the subversion of democracy. The existence of Gladio was confirmed and admitted by the Italian government in 1990 after a judge, Felice Casson, discovered the network in the course of his investigations into right-wing terrorism. Italian Prime Minister Giulio Andreotti admitted Gladio's existence but tried to minimize its significance. And if you go on Wikipedia, this is me, if you go on Wikipedia, it, it lies. There, It tells lies about <laughs> Operation Gladio and the strategy of tension. So you can't trust Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not a neutral source. Anyways. The main function of the Gladio-style groups in the absence of Soviet invasion seems to have been to discredit left-wing groups and politicians through the use of the strategy of tension, including false flag terrorism. Again, the strategy of tension is a concept for control and manipulation of public opinion through the use of fear, propaganda, Asian provocateur, terrorism, etc. The aim was to instill fear into the populace while framing communist and left-wing political opponents for terrorist atrocity. All right, and just a little bit of um so people should note that gladio and the stay behind networks is a confirmed precedent of the u.s and western governments participating in ruthless terrorist attacks against their own people in order to instill fear control the population and frame left-wing political opponents people who believe that such things do not or cannot happen should be forcefully made aware of such examples as operation gladio and i can't list all the evidence but i'll list a little bit of the evidence here the August 2, 1980 bombing of the Bologna train station, which killed 85 people, is widely recognized as a Gladio operation. Killed 85 people. While it was initially blamed on the communist Red Brigades, eventually right-wing and fascist elements were discovered to be the culprits. Two Italian Secret Service agents and Licio Gelli, the head of the infamous P2 Masonic Lodge, which stands for Propaganda Duo, by the way, were convicted in connection to the bombing. The makings of the bomb came from an arsenal used by Gladio, according to a 
Parliamentary Commission on Terrorism. The suggested link with the Bologna massacre is potentially the most serious of all the accusations leveled against Gladio, and comes just two days after the Italian Prime Minister, Giulio Andriotti, cleared Gladio's name in a speech to Parliament, saying that the secret army did not drift from its formal NATO military brief. Such bullshit. One more example. In 1969 in Italy, the Piazza Fontana massacre in Milan kills 16 and injures and maims 80 during a trial of right-wing extremists. General Glandelio Maletti, former head of Italian counterintelligence, alleges that the massacre had been carried out by the Italian stay-behind army and right-wing terrorists on the orders of the U.S. Secret Service fucking CI fucking A in order to discredit the Italian communists all right and i'll have this link in the description i could go on and on with the evidence but you guys are going to have to look into it yourself now i'm going to talk about operation condor briefly all right so operation condor from 1975 to 1977 military regimes in brazil paraguay uruguay chile and argentina rounded up thousands of people who were suspected of having affiliations with leftist movements and put them into concentration camps and secret detention centers many disappeared they were tortured interrogated executed and secretly buried i mean fuck this is from Columbia University, by the way. This is not like me just spouting shit off the interwebs. This is latinamericanstudies.org from Columbia University. Dissidents fortunate enough to escape their home countries were located, captured, and interrogated through the efforts of Operation Condor, a multinational intelligence organization. Often the dissidents were returned to the disappearance apparatus of the military governments they fled. Through declassified archives, investigation, and interviews, John Dingus, <laughs> that's his name, Dingies, I don't know, a reporter and professor of journalism at Columbia University, crafted his chilling account of Condor's overall development and repressive practices. The discovery and release of previously secret documents, along with aggressive new judicial investigations, are shedding new light on South America's worst era of political repression. The U.S. government is helping by ordering the declassification of long-secret files, but the new information also is confirming a more active cooperation with the regime's anti-terrorist activity than has been previously acknowledged. So the U.S., once enough time passes, the U.S. acknowledges that these things happen, so they're like, okay, we'll declassify because first off, Americans are racist, they don't really care about South America, and secondly, they'll be like, oh, well, that happened in 1975, we don't do that anymore, which is, as I said, completely naive and absurd to, to imagine that. Okay, a little bit more about Condor. So, the human rights crime wave in South America's southern cone. For three years, 1975 through 1975, the countries in what is known as the southern cone of South America underwent a human rights crime wave of a magnitude not seen before or since in the region. Military regimes in place for more than a decade in Brazil and Paraguay were joined by like-minded military rulers who overthrew civilian regimes in Uruguay, Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia in the 70s. Political police, described even by sympathetic U.S. military observers as, quote, Gestapo-like, rounded up thousands of people who were suspected of affiliation with leftist movements. So it goes on from there. Um, perhaps the most closely guarded secret was a system of international cooperation among the dictatorships known as Operation Condor. 
As one civilian government after another fell to the military, political refugees flowed across borders, in some cases seeking safe haven to organize revolutionary movements against the military. Operation Condor was an intelligence organization in which the multinational teams tracked down dissidents outside their home countries, captured and interrogated them, and in many cases delivered them back to the disappearance apparatus of the military governments they had fled. They had fled. Unbelievable. So um, I'm going to stop there for now. Uh, maybe I'll go into Condor a little bit more later, but I want to, um, I've been talking too much, so I'm going to go ahead and play some of this video. I'll have the link to the video in the description as well. All right. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, yeah. The voice of racism preaching the gospel is devilish. A fake church called the prophet Muhammad a terrorist. Forgetting God is not religion, but a spiritual bond. And Jesus is the most quoted prophet in the Quran. They bombed innocent people trying to murder Saddam. When you gave them those chemical weapons to go to war with Iran. This is the information that they hold back from Peter Jennings. Cause Condoleezza Rice is just a new age Sally Hemings. I break it down with critical language and spiritual anguish. The Judas are hanging. With the guilt of betraying Christ who murdered him, stole his religion, and painted him white. Translated in psychologically tainted philosophy, conservative political right wing ideology. Glued together sloppily, the blasphemy of a nation. Got my back to the wall, cause I'm facing assassination. Guantanamo Bay, federal incarceration. How could this be? The land of the free, home of the brave, indigenous Holocaust, and the home of the slaves. Corporate America, dancing offbeat to the them. You really think this country never sponsored terrorism? Human rights violations, we continue the saga. El Salvador and the Contras and Nicaragua. And on top of that, you still want to take me to prison. Just because I won't trade humanity for patriotism. It's like MK Ultra controlling your brain. Suggestive thinking causing your perspective to change. They want to rearrange the whole point of view of the ghetto. The fourth branch of the government wants us to settle a bandana full of glittering generality fighting for freedom and fighting terror but what's reality read about the history of the place that we live in and stop letting corporate news tell lies to your children flow like the blood of abraham through the jews and the arabs broken apart like a woman's heart abused in the marriage the brink of holy war bottled up like a miscarriage embedded correspondence don't tell the source of the tension and they refuse to even mention european intervention or the massacres in janine the innocent screams, U.S. manufactured missiles and M16s, weapon contracts and corrupted American dreams, media censorship blocking out the video screens, a continent of oil kingdoms bought for a bargain, democracy is just a word when the people are starving, the average citizen made to be blind to the reason, a desert full of genocide where the bodies are freezing and the world doesn't believe that you're fighting for freedom cause you fucked the Middle East and gave birth to a demon, it's open season with the CIA bugging my crib, trapped in the ghetto region like a Palestinian kid, where nobody gives a fuck whether you die or you live, I'm trying to give the truth and I know the price is my life, but when I'm gone they'll sing a song about immortal technique, who beheaded the president and the princes and sheiks, you don't give a fuck about us, I can see through your facade, like a fallen angel standing in the presence of God, Niggas scared of the truth when it looks at you hard It's like MK Ultra controlling your brain Suggestive thinking causing your perspective to change They want to rearrange the whole point of view in the ghetto The fourth branch of the government wants to settle
They called it Operation Northwoods. Kept secret for decades, the document was obtained by journalist James Bamford and published in his book on the National Security Agency, Body of Secrets. The author explains, in 1962, the Joint Chiefs of Staff drew up and approved what may be the most corrupt plan ever created by the U.S. government. In the name of anti-communism, they proposed launching a secret and bloody war of terrorism against their own country in order to trick the American public into supporting an ill-conceived war they intended to launch against Cuba. Among the suggestions, a fake hijacking involving remote-controlled planes to be blamed on Cuba, the blowing up of an American ship also to be blamed on Cuba, and a terror campaign in Florida carried out by anti-Castro exiles to be blamed on Cuba. The most remarkable fact about Northwoods itself was that it was approved by every single member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the highest-ranking military officers in the land. Alexander the Great is credited with one of the earliest recorded examples of the military sire. When he was forced to retreat from conquered lands, vacuums of power were left in his wake. To discourage pursuers, he advised his craftsmen to build and leave behind massive body armor, such as would befit giants. Breastplates and helmets for mythical men, eight feet tall. The discovery of the objects would make his enemies think twice before giving chase. The 11th century warlord, Genghis Khan, used similar tactics of creative deception. Prior to military campaigns, agents of influence disguised as villagers from an already conquered region would be dispatched into enemy territory to warn the people of the horrors awaiting them. To further intimidate opponents, Khan devised a trick of light. As darkness fell over his encampments, he ordered his men to light five campfires where only one was necessary. Observing the spectacle, one scout reported back that Khan's army had more fires than there are stars in the sky. In 1951, the democratically elected leader of Iran, Mohammad Mazadegh, was overthrown by the CIA and replaced by the fascist Shah. The man in charge of organizing the coup, Kermit Roosevelt, explicitly referred in his memoirs to the use of false flag operations. In the year 2000, New York Times reporter James Risen obtained a previously secret account of the coup written by CIA agent Donald Wilbur. Risen explains, in early August, the CIA, seeking to stir up anti-communist sentiment in the religious community, stepped up the pressure. Iranian operatives pretending to be communists threatened Muslim leaders with savage punishment if they opposed Mazadeh. In addition, the house of at least one prominent cleric was bombed by CIA agents posing as communists. The fact that Mossadegh was not a communist to begin with was of little concern to the plotters. The real threat was an independent Iran in control of its own oil reserves. Coinciding with the false flags, 
Mobs were paid by the CIA to ride in the streets. European-wide cell of military units that would basically be able to mobilize in response to a potential invasion of Western Europe by uh, communist Russia. Now, these cells were actually set up with the uh, support of the United States. NATO was the main vehicle. It was done secretly across most, uh, many Western European countries. And over time, it evolved into a highly kind of disturbing form of covert action. And Operation Gladio was um, actually a specific operation as part of this overall process, which was taking place in Italy. What we can say for certain is that within about 10 years, this phenomenon that we saw in Operation Gladio became much more than what Churchill had originally described it was intended to be. And in the end, we had a situation where these actual cells were given the task of actually carrying out various kind of actions, including terrorist activity in different parts of Western Europe, in order to project blame onto left-wing or communist social movements had basically waves of terrorist bombings and atrocities carried out in Turkey, in Italy, in Greece, in Spain, in many parts of Western Europe. And in all of these cases, we have strong evidence that these, these instances were actually mobilized by these secret cells that were co-opted by NATO. What actually did happen in, uh, subsequently is that the civilian governments of these countries did respond to these atrocities, believing them to have been conducted by left-wing groups. And it did create a, a massive kind of drive against left-wing movements to encroach on civil liberties, to, to really kind of conduct very draconian policies, both at home and abroad. What we learned from Operation Gladio is that intelligence and covert action as carried out by states is clearly something which is routinely conducted under the radar and that it's often conducted in such a way that civilian administrations are not fully aware of what is going on. And to be honest with you, I think this is not really something controversial. I mean, anyone who has genuinely studied covert operations and the the, the nature and structure of intelligence agencies will be aware that the whole point of covert action is precisely to conceal it from public awareness. The danger of it is, is clearly that when you have a case like Operation Gladio or the strategy of tension documented during the Cold War, this really reveals how far intelligence agencies are able to go as a consequence of that. And that raises a lot of disturbing questions about really the scope of the intelligence agencies and their capacity to, to conduct very, very dangerous covert action, which is not in the interests of the wider public, which is not in the national interest, and which violates even the basic kind of rule of law that is established by the civilian government. False flags are not necessary to start wars, but they serve an important function. They allow the aggressor state to portray itself as the victim while rallying public opinion behind the war effort. 
In fact, they needn't even involve real physical events. The Gulf of Tonkin incident, in which it was alleged that North Vietnamese forces attacked an American naval vessel, was entirely fictitious. Shortly after noon, the calm of the day is broken at General Quarter South. In a deliberate and unprovoked action, three North Vietnam PT boats unleashed a torpedo attack against the territory of your own immune system. Don't cede the territory of your own body. We are being subjected to an extremely sophisticated, with unlimited amounts of funding, psychological war campaign to convince us that we should not trust and even abandon our own immune system. That is the line that you have to hold. This is not about even fucking anything except exactly what I'm saying. It's just about trusting your own immune system, trusting your own body. Do not get persuaded. Do not get gaslit into distrusting your own body. You can communicate with your own body. You can communicate with your immune system. A memory T cells are incredible. We develop antibodies sometimes without even having to experience symptoms. We are very powerful. Human beings are incredibly powerful. Do not seed the territory of your own body to your adversary. And right now, the adversary is desperate. And I think that's why they're going so hard in the paint <clears throat> on this in informational warfare campaign, the psychological warfare campaign. So we have to stay strong, we have to hold the line, and we have to do it for ourselves and for future generations. And we have to take the battle to the beast, to the software, to the fucking bullshit. We have to maintain our connection with nature and hold the line of our own bodies and stay grounded on the real material earth and don't let anyone take you off that. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise.
Thanks for sticking with me through the end, and I'm going to be reading today for the outro from a book called Inner Work, Using Dreams and Active Imagination for Personal Growth, written by the Jungian analyst Robert A. Johnson. And this is he in this chapter, he talks about the importance of ritual. The role of ritual in the growth of consciousness is related to its power to make symbolic experience into something physical and concrete. Although we can understand the meaning of symbols with our minds, our understanding is made immeasurably deeper and more concrete when we feel the symbols with our bodies and our feelings. When we only think about symbols or talk about them, we are able to detach ourselves too readily from the feeling quality that surrounds them. But if we do something to express the symbol, something that involves our bodies and our emotions, the symbol becomes a living reality for us. It etches itself indelibly on our consciousness. Ritual is a tool that makes it possible to bring forth the essence of a dream situation, the essence of the principle the dream teaches, the essence of the archetypal energy in the dream. Ritual reduces the voltage through that we can ritual reduces the voltage through that we can transfer them into immediate concrete acts. Robert A. Johnson, that was a really awkward sentence there, but I'll, I'll let you pass because I like your books, but what the fuck, dude? Um, without thinking about it in psychological terms, ancient and primitive cultures have always understood instinctively that ritual had a true function in their psychic lives. They understood ritual as an, a set of formal acts that brought them into immediate contact with the gods. Ritual served many purposes. It allowed them to show respect and reverence to the great powers. It permitted them to touch the power. The power did not overwhelm them or possess them because the exchange was contained within the safe limits of ritual. Like the burning bush that protected Moses' eyes from the sight of Jehovah, the animal forms of Zeus that shielded Samil from his horrible power, until she was so foolish as to demand to see him in his full godhead and was incinerated, the ritual protects the fragile ego consciousness of individual and tribe from the raw power of the unconscious. When ancient and primitive cultures spoke of, quote, going to the gods, unquote, in their rituals, it meant in their archaic language that they approached the great and terrible archetypes of the collective unconscious. In our time, it is still fashion to think of all, that is na all this as naive and superstitious, but other cultures had a great advantage over us. They at least recognized the existence of the psychic realm, however they spoke of it, and learned to approach it through ritual and dream. By contrast, we quote modern people have mostly given up the language of religion. But few of us have, and I know religion, religion is triggering for people, so you could say the religion of spirituality or the religion of the of awareness of the cosmos or whatever. But few of us have found any other language for approaching the realm of the soul, and the terrible byproduct of this is that we have forgotten its existence. In this respect, we are worse off than our so-called, quote, primitive ancestors. When we are learning to pay attention to our dreams and our inner world, uh, man, this is another fucked up sentence. Robert A. Johnson, why do you keep writing fucked up sentences? Uh, there are no, I'm going to read it the way he writes it. You'll see what I mean. When we are learning to pay attention to our dreams and our inner world is the perfect time for us to rediscover the marvelous human faculty for ritual. When we are learning to pay attention to our dreams, that is the perfect time is what it should say. Anyways, okay. <laughs> a little bit more here. 
There are no set rituals established for us, nothing that is prescribed by a formula or a tradition. Instead, each of us must go into our own imagination and literally quote, quote, dream the ritual that will serve to honor a particular dream. Each ritual must be custom made out of the raw material of our own inner self. It flows out of the same inner place that produced your dream, your associations, and your interpretation. All inner work becomes much less threatening when we begin to see that every expression of the unconscious, whether dream, imagination, vision, or ritual, proceeds from the same reservoir deep within. And everything, therefore, works together. I keep it realer than most. This phrase is often used too loosely. Amongst these niggas putting pencils to this loose leaf, making stencils of each other's shit. They take a virus from that motherboard, straight back to their mothership. I've been on some other shit. Grew up fighting on some lover shit. That moms ain't seen my uncle's brother single mother shit. Don't tell me you familiar with the struggle if you clueless. Rhonda got a second job after diagnosed with lupus. We survivors, nigga. Give a fuck about your rider, niggas. Cause it's always dead minds, that's the liveest, niggas. Cause it's always dead minds, that's the liveest, niggas. Huh? All I ever need was a little bit Tell me that it's more that I gotta get While I'm sleeping or I break it down like a prophecy Roll more weed to get more hot Birds I seen, they just don't fly Lives I seen, they just don't shine Keep it real in the nose Save the lies, that's a hundred to post And when we die, that's a hundred or more And where I'm from, they don't love you enough That's when my mind tell me get it and go Nigga run, get a part of the gold They don't love me, but it's slow where I go And if I want it, nigga, take what I want Nigga face it, hit a light of the blunt And when I die, hey, roll another one up whip. Spark up the joint Start with a movement, homie, start with the point We keep it realer than most We keep it realer than most Hey, tell them, tell them, tell them, start so UBMP heads out there will know that I'm constantly ranting and raving about the liberal interventionist ghouls that surround Joe Biden, really surround every uh, administration in the U.S., but it's especially terrible under Joe Biden because we have a weekend at Bernie's situation where he doesn't even know what's going on. He's just being led around by these psychotic individuals who want to intervene everywhere in the world and push quote-unquote American democracy, which is the rules-based international order, which is that we make the rules and then we destroy your country if you defy our orders. That's the rules-based international order. And one such example of, of an interventionist ghoul that is currently lurking around the Biden administration is Samantha Power. Samantha Power looks like a demon from hell if you look her up. She's an Irish-American academic diplomat and government official who is currently serving as the administrator of the United States Agency for International Development, USAID, which is a cutout of the CIA and the State Department. It's the quote-unquote humanitarian wing of the CIA, where they use development as an excuse to push their agenda, often covertly. USAID has a horrible reputation around the world. I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I got my master's degree in Australia in international social development because I thought I wanted to work with refugees. And the experience was completely shattering, learning about the, the situation and the bureaucracy behind, like, I thought maybe I wanted to work for the UNHCR. My professors would constantly break down and start crying during lectures because they've worked in these camps and they've seen it and they talk about how... USAID will like helicopter in, take like a couple photo shoots and then leave and not even contribute anything to any sort of humanitarian crisis. It's all just for optics. And they told one story about 
they were at a refugee camp, um, I believe in Burma, and the UN, UNHCR, the head of UNHCR was coming to like inspect the camp, and they were, people did not have adequate clean water at the camp, people were constantly getting sick from waterborne diseases, and for a head of the ambassador for them to show up, they were spraying fresh water on the path of the convoy before the convoy would get there to keep the dust down for the UN ambassador because everything is all about optics and acquiring funding and and mechanisms of power it's really fucked up so anyways Samantha Power she runs around and she pretends like she's some kind of humanitarian but I wanted to relay this story that happened with her uh, with her motorcade in 2016 This was in Cameroon in 2016. Seven-year-old boy run over by UN Ambassador Samantha Power's convoy. And then not only does it happen, but listen to how the United States reacts and how the UN reacts to this. An armored Jeep in United Nations Ambassador UN... uh, Sorry. An armored Jeep in UN Ambassador Samantha Power's entourage ran over a seven-year-old boy in Cameroon, killing him. Power, accompanied by her aides and journalists, was on her way to meet refugees, especially small children and other victims of the ongoing war against Boko Haram. So she's supposedly going to meet with children who are affected by this war, and she ends up running over a seven-year-old. The incident occurred when Power's motorcade was passing through the small city of Mokolo in northern Cameroon. Villagers were lined up along the sides of the road as the high-speed vehicles rushed past them. The vehicles in the motorcade were reportedly riding at a speed of up to 60 miles per hour. A boy suddenly darted onto the road and was mowed down by the sixth car in the entourage. The Cameroonian driver had no time to stop the car before the impact. However, when he did halt the car after the accident, he was ordered by American security forces to continue driving along with the convoy. So just think about that for a second. They're rolling in there like, you know, so fucking pleased with themselves and and smug and like, we're going to come in here and we're going to, you know, we're going to help protect these small kids from Boko Haram. They run over a small kid and then American security forces order the driver to continue with the convoy. They don't even stop to check on the child. A man was reportedly seen running towards the child to stop him. A Cameroonian security helicopter that was keeping track of the convoy's movement on the land witnessed the collision. An ambulance in the convoy immediately attended to the child, who was then rushed to the local hospital. People familiar with the incident were quoted as saying by the Guardian. The UN ambassador to the UN, U- US ambassador to the UN reportedly returned to the accident scene after her meetings to convey her condolences over the child's death. She said she learned of the death with great sorrow and added that she met the boy's family, quote, to offer our profound condolences. However, no announcement of compensation was made by the UN ambassador or any of her officials. The accident, however, slowed down the pace of the convoy for the rest of the day, the publication reported. So that tells you everything you need to know about Samantha Power and the USAID, the fucking CIA State Department cutout. They run over a kid, then she comes back and, you know, sheds some crocodile tears and talks about great sorrow, but they don't announce any compensation for the child, and they didn't even stop to check on the child when it happened. They were ordered by American security forces to keep going. So that shows how much they really care about the individual kids that they're quote-unquote trying to protect. 
And uh, that's Samantha Power for you. And that's an example of the psychopaths right now whispering snake oiled uh, snake venom into snake oiled snake venom, whispering snake like into zombie Biden's ear, telling him to interfere everywhere. It's called the R2P responsibility to protect. And that is the uh, justification for things like the Libya campaign, which reduced the most prosperous state in North Africa to a failed state with open air slave markets done under Barack Obama. And of course, Samantha Power is a total Obama Biden guy. That's why she's currently serving as the administer administrator for the USAID. So there you go, guys. And that's what we get if we keep voting for Democrats. So I don't know what to tell you. Runs over kids, doesn't stop, causes all kinds of hell across the world. And that's what we're supposed to be feeling good about, that our, our contribution uh, to the global scene is in the humanitarian realm. So, kind of a depressing story, but I had to share that. Cuarto en la casa de Lito en el norte de Chicago Mi mamá, María, Marcelo, mi hermano Y yo soy el Rodrigo, papá es el Mario Lito tenía el Dani, un hijo de cinco Mitad chileno y mitad de Puerto Rico Desde ese momento que somos amigos Caballito blanco, llévame contigo Llévame a Chicago, donde yo crecí so with that everyone i'm going to bring this episode of the bmp to a close again shout out to my patrons y'all are the foam in my sound echo stopping studio <laughs> can tell I'm, I'm 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 uh running on fumes here um please support the podcast i can really use your help so uh, i updated my patreon as i said so for just one dollar a month you can help keep the bmp in the air and i would be eternally grateful hop over to patreon.com slash noetics to help me stay on the air and help me afford groceries. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts and spread the word and tell a friend. Thank you so much. I love you guys. I hope you have a fantastic week full of fortuitous synchronicities. May you be excellent to one another and excellent to yourself and compassionate to yourself. Until next week, I love you guys. Peace. Tan frágil la vida, si escucha te mando un saludo y a Luisa Perdón por nunca ir, por nunca llamar Preferí quedarme con memoria de otra realidad El Julito, el Dani, yo y el Eduardito Y si venían de Rockford también el Marito El Carlitos, el amigo del Marcelo Venían como 14 y andaban en celo Digo andaban en skate Y buscaban a las minas para salir en un date Yo escuchaba aprendiendo a ser grande Éramos grande, de corazón, las raíces de rebeldía mezclada con revolución, pero también hubo dolor, también había alcohol, y nosotros entre todos jugando fútbol, jugando los convitos, jugando G.I. Joe, jugando lucha libre con Seba el guatón, hijo de inmigrante, hijo de exiliado, hijo de rebeldía, estamos por todos lados. Wow. Claro. 
son caros Y los gaetes en la villita En el norte con los clients Los gases, la chanchita La tía Margarita me cuidaba cuando era guagua Entre reuniones por la paz en Nicaragua y Guatemala La madre del medio, sus hijos en el exilio Eran chilenos, chapine y palestinos Crecimos con la vida internacional Preparado para el momento cuando pude viajar Y ya, adelanta la cinta Cambiaron las pintas de los 90 Con Esteban y el Sebas a los 2000 Les encuentro en Chile Le dije al can que llévame la tocata Pa' conocer el hip hop de mi patria Ahí el Frankie, el Chuba y el Seco fueron tela Me dieron la bienvenida a la faena sin problema El gringo caminaba entre su gente Amistades del pasado son familia del presente Estas son historias, historias verdaderas Alguna me dan risa y otra me dan pena Son historias, historias de guerra Alguna me dan vida y todas me dan fuerza Estas son historias, historias verdaderas Alguna me dan risa y otra me dan pena Son historias, historias de guerra Alguna me dan vida y todas me dan fuerza Ya, ya, todas me dan fuerza Estas son historias Estas son historias Estas son historias Estas son historias